Hello. This is Elizabeth Chu, the CEO of the South Carolina Historical Society. Welcome to From the Vault, the South Carolina Historical Society podcast, created and hosted by my colleague Sydney Derrick, our librarian. This podcast will demystify archives. I am passionate about convincing people that archives are not in any way boring. They are, in fact, incredibly interesting. Who doesn't like to read stories about other people? Imagine spending all day long in a library reading someone else's diary. That is what historians and people who use archives do every day. From the Vault, we'll be telling stories of all South Carolinians from the perspective of the many fascinating items in our large and important archival collections. Hello and welcome to the inaugural podcast of the South Carolina Historical Society. Before we begin with today's tale from the archives, let's talk about some news and upcoming events at the Historical Society. Our 2024 Winter Lecture Series starts in February. We're hosting four lectures at First Baptist Church in Charleston, and those will also be live-streamed for those who are unable to attend in person. The series will feature talks from experts on different aspects of the American Revolution, including African-American involvement, women in the Revolution, and local battles at Sullivan's Island and Camden. On March 15th, we're hosting a conversation with Eric Larson, author of The Devil in the White City and several other books, which will be moderated by South Carolina historian Walter Edgar. That will be held at the Charleston Museum. And of course, you can find out more on all of these events and purchase tickets under the news section of our website, schistory.org. So we're going to start this podcast the same way we started the whole historical society with Henry Lawrence. His papers were the first collection that the Historical Society held, and we'll discuss some of those papers, namely the pamphlet collection within the papers, in today's episode, which is titled, Your Humble and Most Obedient Servant, for the way gentlemen of the time signed letters, even if it was to someone they very much disliked. Another title for this episode could be, Henry Lawrence versus Everybody. And for those of you who are thinking, that last name sounds familiar, Henry Lawrence was the father of John Lawrence, who has recently gained modern fame thanks to the Hamilton musical. So let's list our sources first. Of course, we used the Henry Lawrence papers at the South Carolina Historical Society. We also consulted an article titled The Man Unmasked, Henry Lawrence, Edgerton Lee, and the Making of a Revolutionary by Aaron J. Palmer as well as letters found on Founders Online, administered by the National Archives and Records Administration, and hosted by the University of Virginia Press. So now we'll talk a little bit about who Henry Lawrence was. He was a South Carolina planter and merchant, including a merchant of enslaved people. He was a politician, president of Continental Congress, president of South Carolina's first Council of Safety, which was the established state government just as the revolution was beginning, kind of during that time between 
being a royal colony and being our own place. He's also the only American to have ever been imprisoned in the Tower of London, and he was sent there for treason. He crossed paths with a lot of people and crossed words with some of them as well. Lawrence published at least two sets of pamphlets. The first documents his arguments with Judge Edgerton Lee, and the second details his heated conflict with Edmund Jennings. Now, some of these, including some of the Jennings pamphlets, only had a few copies printed, so not everyone was aware of this conflict, but some were more widely distributed as this conflict got more heated. We'll start, though, with that first one, that first conflict with Judge Sir Edgerton Lee. Lee was employed by the British Crown and probably got this job because of his father. After moving to colonial South Carolina, he was appointed the clerk in the Court of Common Pleas and later became the judge of the Court of Vice Admiralty and Attorney General. Holding both of these jobs did not sit well with some of South Carolina's elite because of the ultimate power that each role had. One was kind of the the person over the cases that came to court, and the other was in ruling in maritime law cases. So a lot of power over how decisions are made in court cases. There's another character in this story. George Rupel was a customs inspector who some suspected was lining his own pockets with fees and fines collected from ships. So in 1768, Henry Lawrence's ship Anne is seized after Rupel claims it was being loaded with goods that had not been accounted for, which Lawrence, of course, denies, and the case goes before Judge Lee. Now, Lee kind of rules in favor of both of them. He rules that there was probable cause for Rupel to seize the ship, but that he had enforced the law inconsistently, so he clears Lawrence of the charges. But that's not good enough for Lawrence, and he takes to the page to attack Lee, Rupel, the whole system, writing two pamphlets, the second of which is housed at the South Carolina Historical Society archives. The second pamphlet that he writes is called Extracts from the Proceedings of the Court of Vice Admiralty, and it details several ships that Lawrence says were unfairly fined. So here's a quote from Lawrence's introduction to this pamphlet. When the powers of commissioners and other officers in America are increased to an alarming height, and as if it were to render them still more formidable, the jurisdiction of vice-admiralty courts extended beyond their ancient limits. When too many men are employed in those offices whose sole view seems to be amassing fortunes at the expense of their honor, conscience, and almost ruined country, when such is the unhappy state of America, every British merchant is concerned. So you can see a little bit there how there's already a distinction between the people of America and the people of Great Britain. So there's British merchants and there's American merchants. Now, this quote may sound mild, but for the time, it is inflammatory. Reputation is everything, especially in the elite classes. And you got to keep in mind that Henry Lawrence wrote and printed these pamphlets denigrating these public officials to defend his honor here. That's how important his reputation was to him. Here's another quote in which you can see how people are starting to make a distinction between British and American residents. 
This may be the language of a few whose mistaken policy and unbounded ambition lead them to act as if they thought the interest of Great Britain would be most effectually promoted by the distress of her colonies. In an appendix to this pamphlet, Lawrence discusses what he believes is the unfair nature of manufacturing and customs laws in America as compared to Great Britain. Because of the laws, he asserts that Americans pay more in taxes than people in Britain. Of course, we all know how issues with unfair taxation will go later for the king, but that's still a few years away. Another great insult from the pamphlets against Lee reads, O sole judge, who has so often declared your own self-righteousness and the purity of all your thoughts, words, and deeds, who has of late ventured to strengthen such declaration, doubtful of mankind's belief and for want of better proof, by your solemn oath upon the holy evangelists of Almighty God. And then Lawrence goes on to ask Lee to put himself in Lawrence's place and then really assess whether his ruling is fair. So he's really criticizing uh, Lee there for sort of being high and mighty. Of course, this is just one of Lawrence's conflicts, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. The more personal and passionate one seems to be with Edmund Jennings over an anonymous letter that slandered America's second president, John Adams, and warned Henry Lawrence to be wary of him. This all began in 1782, long before Adams was president. But here's a quote from the letter, from the anonymous letter that was sent about Adams. Adams, envious of every superior merit, has much labored clandestinely in injuring Franklin and Lawrence to secure his situation and answer further ends, and, by the means that he has used, has succeeded better in serving the interests of his country here, where his business has been done by others. For, however great his abilities as a lawyer, they are the reverse as a minister." Be discreet in giving Mr. Lawrence a caution from that quarter, and at another time you shall be apprised of the secret of a conduct which is in every way base and dishonorable. One note there is the early American leaders were referred to as ministers. Um, so that's what they're calling John Adams there. And basically this note is saying that he may be a great lawyer, but he is not a great leader of his country, and that he really is only out for himself here. Um, and the letter also uh, alludes to the fact that the writer of the letter has a secret about Adams's conduct, which is every way base and dishonorable. When the anonymous letter was received, Lawrence claims he immediately suspected Edmund Jennings, who was a relatively unknown attorney and aspiring politician who was also a protege of John Adams. This letter, this anonymous letter, was first received by Edward Bridgen, who is a mutual acquaintance of Lawrence and Jennings. By this point in his life, Lawrence had been appointed as minister to the Netherlands, so kind of like an ambassador and worked to secure Dutch support, including loans, for the Revolutionary War. His ship was later intercepted by the British, and though he threw all of his documents overboard, including the information about this U.S.-Dutch treaty and his commission from Congress that sent him on this mission, 
it was retrieved out of the water by the British, and they used it to charge him with treason. So that's when he ends up in the Tower of London. But in 1781, Lawrence was released from the Tower of London and traveled to Amsterdam to raise money for American independence. So after Jennings hears of these accusations that Lawrence thinks he was the writer of this anonymous letter, Jennings picked up his pen to defend himself against his well-known accuser, writing a pamphlet titled The Candor of Henry Lawrence Esquire, manifested by his behavior to Mr. Edmund Jennings. And he delivers a copy to Edward Bridgen, that mutual acquaintance, perhaps in the hopes that he will give it to Lawrence. In fact, South Carolina Historical Society's copy of the pamphlet features a handwritten note across the top that reads, To whomever Mr. Bridgen pleases. And this note is actually brought up later by Lawrence in his response pamphlet. So this copy of this pamphlet may have been Lawrence's personal copy. I mean, that makes sense since it's in his papers, but it's just kind of cool to think that this was in his hands. Um, So it may have been the personal copy that was sent to him by Edward Bridgen, who first is the first person who received this pamphlet. In fact, there are many handwritten notes throughout this first pamphlet, including one particularly barbed insult that Lawrence wrote on the errata page, where Jennings listed his minor mistakes and typos. But Lawrence uh, took the time to write on that page, These errata require errata. There are more than 40 other errors. Mr. Jennings has performed this work as he does everything, without forecast or consideration. In this pamphlet, Jennings lays out the timeline of their conflict, which is complicated and at times very petty, with comments and actions on both sides being understood in ways other than what the authors claimed they were intended. However, it begins when Jennings offers money to Lawrence while he is imprisoned in the Tower of London. Adams, John Adams, becomes aware that Jennings offered Lawrence money to help him out in this situation. And Adams offers to reimburse Jennings from the American coffers. In the meantime, Lawrence actually declines Jennings' offer of money, but it seems that this is the seed of Lawrence's feelings that Jennings as an interfering busybody with designs to make himself look good to the people in power. After the anonymous letter is written, it's Jennings who sends Adams a copy. And this just solidifies Lorne's notion of his meddling personality, that Jennings took the time to send this letter about John Adams to John Adams. Lauren speaks to both Adams and Franklin about his suspicions of Jennings, but neither man believes that it was Jennings. They just don't think it was in his character to write the letter or make those types of accusations against Adams. I mentioned this earlier in the episode, but I want to take a minute here to explain the title, one of the titles of this episode, Your Humble and Most Obedient Servant. Today's people, modern people, We're not the only ones who have kind of a work persona and corporate lingo that mask our true feelings. Lawrence and Jennings, as well as everyone else they correspond with, almost always sign their letters with something akin to your most humble and obedient servant. No matter how many insults, some hidden in politeness, some not, they just threw at the other person within the body of that letter. 
after Jennings' initial pamphlet. Lawrence takes his beliefs wider, publishing his own pamphlet titled Mr. Lawrence's True State of the Case, by which his candor to Mr. Edmund Jennings is manifested and the tricks of Mr. Jennings are detected. Brevity was not their strong suit. His larger motivation in all of this is to prevent Jennings from serving in a public role, which Jennings had been nominated for. So in one particularly biting line of the pamphlet, Lawrence writes of the accusations that he has leveled of Jennings. He says, I remember a Bermudian girl indicted at a court of sessions in Charlestown before Mr. Justice Pringle for tricks much less criminal than Mr. Jennings is now convicted of. And being found guilty, she was ordered to be publicly whipped. So we got all kinds of stuff going on there. There's some misogyny. There's probably some racism in there too. But Lawrence is saying that other people have been punished for much less than what Jennings has done. Now, eventually, Lawrence and Jennings agreed to meet in person to resolve the conflict. And while Lawrence walks away from the meeting claiming to have changed his mind, at least to Jennings, he later recants that. And in his pamphlet, Lawrence references this dinner that he spent with Jennings after this meeting where they talked about their issues. And he says... For who but a Jennings would have dined with a man who believed he had written the anonymous letter, and I never invited him again. So as an answer to Lawrence's charges about this dinner, uh, Jennings writes a third pamphlet. It's the final pamphlet in the series, and it's called A Full Manifestation of What Mr. Henry Lawrence Falsely Denominates Candor in Himself and Tricks in Mr. Edmund Jennings. He writes that in 1783, although no one actually receives that until 1784, he does publish this widely to the American people for them to decide who is to be believed in this conflict. In this pamphlet, Jennings responds to Lawrence's question on the dinner they spent together and says, who but a Lawrence would have invited to dinner a man who he believed had written it. That's a reference to the anonymous letter. In this third pamphlet, Jennings gets several other insults in against Lawrence, including, Would a man of real importance think it worth his while, or that it was necessary for the establishment of his rank to thrust his name before another in any writing, or in talking of him, contrary to the ordinary rules of good breeding pursued by every man in every station of life? So what Jennings is saying here is that if Lauren considers himself so important and me so unimportant, why is he talking about me? Shouldn't that be below him? But Lawrence has no written reply to this third pamphlet. Um, in a June 1784 letter, he does say that he was working on another pamphlet while traveling at sea, but he had to put it aside because of bad weather, and that he just figured at that point that People who had read all of these pamphlets had seen both sides and that they could make their own conclusion. But while the dueling pamphlets may end there, the conflict does not. About a month before Lawrence wrote that letter uh, to Thomas Day in 1784 saying he started a pamphlet but decided not to do it, Jennings wrote to uh, another man, Edward Bridgen, who was a the friend who had first received the anonymous letter. And Jennings says, 
that he thought Bridgen basically was on Lawrence's side. So in this letter, Jennings challenges Bridgen and Lawrence to a duel, including information on where Bridgen could find him to accept the challenge and arrange all the particulars of meeting for this duel. So that's where the stakes got at this point. Jennings is challenging two men now to a duel. So the next day, Jennings writes to John Adams and tells him that he made this duel offer. But a few days later, Jennings receives his last known letter from John Adams, where John Adams assures Jennings that he has always believed in his innocence regarding the anonymous letter. So he has always believed that Jennings was not the author, and he always will. And that is the last known letter that Adams wrote Jennings. And they were very close before all of this happened. As I mentioned, Jennings was Adams' protege, and it seems like this might have kind of soured that relationship. As heated as this conflict was, I mean, Jennings was ready to fire pistols at another person. And despite that offer of a duel, it seems to have ended with a whimper, not a bang. No duel was ever fought, and we're unsure if Lawrence even knew of the offer of a duel, and we don't know what Bridgen's response was to that letter that Jennings wrote to him. And it's still kind of a mystery. No author has ever been confirmed for the anonymous letter. John Adams, according to a letter that he wrote in June 1782, um, believed that it was possibly from a clerk at one of the Dutch financial houses that was left out of that 1782 Dutch-American loan, and it was intended to sow discord among American leaders. So that was the loan that Henry Lawrence was working on um, to try and fund the American Revolution. So Lawrence was obviously very close in that world. So that's where Adams thinks that it might have come from, is just a clerk at a Dutch financial house. But it seems that that goal was achieved. I mean, if he was trying to sow discord among the American leaders, Lawrence and Adams, two American diplomats, ended their relationship. Jennings lost a friend in Edward Bridgen, who was the person who received the anonymous letter and kind of sided with Lawrence in the whole situation. And as I mentioned, even Adams, who, though he believed Jennings wasn't the author, backed away from him, maybe in order to distance himself from the conflict. So the pamphlets in the larger context of an emerging nation show the everyday conversations of the men who founded it and how they were just men dealing with the same interpersonal relationship misunderstandings that happen today. Perhaps today without the offers of duels, hopefully. While those are the published conflicts of Henry Lawrence, there are absolutely others. On our later podcast, we hope to tackle the interesting relationships between Henry Lawrence and William Henry Drayton, who was another prominent South Carolinian that helped usher in America's independence. In the meantime, you can visit our South Carolina Historical Society archives on the third floor of College of Charleston's Addlestone Library and visit our museum at the Fireproof Building at 100 Meeting Street in Charleston, South Carolina. You can find us online at schistory.org and follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We'll see you next time.
Carolina Historical Society.